welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. A good night for Blackburn Rovers, a Hollywood ending for them, and they beat Wrexham 4-1 at Ewood Park. Ryan Hildred with me as always to talk about the action. Ryan, literally first thing on Tuesday morning, so this is as fresh as a podcast you can get. How are you? Did you enjoy the game? Absolutely enjoyed the game to the point where if it wasn't a podcast and I didn't want to embarrass myself, I'd be cracking out some kind of good morning song because that was thoroughly enjoyable last night and just what we needed after a rough couple of months, let's face it. So really enjoyed it. The boys loved it. We shut the Wrexham fans up who were cocksure of himself. Just a perfect evening, wasn't it? So yeah, I am delighted this morning. Um, So yeah, let's roll with that. Yeah, absolutely. Rovers safely through to round five. They'll play Newcastle United at Ewood Park, um, which should be a great evening occasion because that's, of course, the week commencing the 26th. It's a midweek game because for some reason the fifth round of the FA Cup is in midweek. I don't really know why that became a thing, but it is. Um, But yeah, Rovers pretty safely through, although they obviously came from behind. I actually thought, Ryan, they started really, really brightly. I thought it was a really good start, first 15 minutes. And I'd written and I'd said, and I even spoke to Jon about it on Thursday, the the biggest point for me with Rovers was they had to match Wrexham's intensity from the off. They had to, because Wrexham were always going to be up for it. They got a 7,000, I think it's 7,300 in the end, away end behind them. They were going to come out, the come right flying out the traps. The thing for Rovers was, I know this sounds really old fashioned, but earn the right to play very much. Make sure you're winning your duels. Make sure you match their intensity, their running, um, and all those more intangible qualities. And then let your football do the talking because we know Rovers are a better team. They've got better players. They've got quality, particularly in the final third. And I thought they did that. I thought JRC and Dolan in particular in the first 15 minutes were fantastic. Um, and then Wrexham just, just started to come into the game a little bit and then had their spell. And that obviously led to the goal. But Rovers... Could have been two or three up before that point. Smodix, um, one one which was ruled offside, which I've heard some suggestion might not have been offside. Um, Smodix, of course, also dragging one wide when probably was one of the easier chances he had on the night. Um, but the ball was slightly behind him. Lovely reverse pass from Gallagher. And then another one where he's lobbed it over a Conquo, who not for the first time in the evening, as we'll come on to, came rushing out of his goal and got nowhere near the ball. Uh, lifted it over him, but Ben Toza cleared it off the line. So first 15 minutes, you, you had to be pretty pleased with what we'd seen from Rovers. Yeah, really delighted. I think uh, before the game, I think it had cup upset all over it, didn't it? With all the parameters, when you consider Rovers' form, their fans, their form, all these ingredients that there were for a cup upset were there. And I'm really pleased that JDT showed Wrexham the respect that, the respect that they deserved, um, because it's one of those games that if you flatline, and you don't reach your levels, then then you get beat. So to be fair to Rovers, we've seen this through the season where we really impose ourselves on teams in that first 10, 15 minutes. Um, I think of Swansea at home. I think of Birmingham at home in particular. I think of games that are standing out where we have started brightly and we've looked good and then we've just lost our way a little bit. Um, so it was good to see that we were there and we were up for the battle and we were up for the fight. And the only thing that we didn't do was, was score. Um, Smodic's chance that he puts wide is is the one, isn't it? Um, on another day, he buries that. And I'm sure he's absolutely disappointed with himself to not complete his hat-trick. He'll probably look back at that chance and the one in the second half right towards the end as the one where he should have got his hat-trick. Um, so that was the only surprise that, that we hadn't gone 1-0 up. But 
as we've seen from Rovers, you know, when we don't take the opportunities where we've not got the goal to show for the dominance, you know, we can get punished. And all it takes at, well, at most professional levels is is one chance for the opposition. Um, and I've got to say it was a good goal from Wrexham. You know, they they really overturned it well after the, the mistake from Jake Garrett, pressed him and, and he obviously makes the mistake. But they've still got a little bit to do there to work it into that position. And it's a great finish from the lad. I mean, I'm... I've seen a couple of people saying, oh, he's been beaten at his near post. I'm not having that. I think he's hit it with such power. And if you actually look at the replay, I do think Pears might be expecting it to go across goal rather than at his near post. And I think even that millisecond of making that decision just to shift your body either way, it's passed him before really he can even react. So it's a fantastic finish from the lad. And when Rovers have dominated that first 15 minutes, when you consider our record of going behind at Ewood Park and, and other games through the season... Then 7,000 fans obviously going ballistic. You're like, oh my God, here we go. It's going to happen, isn't it? It's actually going to happen. Um, so yeah, 1-0 down. And then just seeing us, I'd say the word was stunned. I think we were stunned a little bit because I think we started the game well, we dominated. And then to be 1-0 down, I think it was one of them where it was like, right, what the hell's just gone on here? A bit of a slap mm-hmm. around the face. And we just needed to recover from that a little bit. So yeah, a little bit anxious at 1-0, I must say. Yeah, Wrexham got their their wet flannel and just white rovers round the chops. Basically, <laughs> I would uh, describe it. No, you're absolutely right. I thought tactically it was interesting because I think a lot of the good start was down to how high and wide Rovers' wing backs were, which were of, obviously Tyree Stoll and Nana Sigurdsson. Not wing backs in any shape or form, really. The wingers very much playing high and wide, um, and it left basically JRC as a right centre back, Domheim in the middle, Scott Wharton on the left, and particularly in transition. That means you are going to leave space on the outsides of your wide centre-backs, JRC and Scott Wharton. And that's where the goal came from, with the fact that, obviously, Garrett loses the ball. It's quickly turned over. Sigurdsson, completely understandably, is high and wide because that's his starting position when Rovers have got controlled possession. Um, They give it away. You're going to be exposed. And that was the sort of space that Cannon drove into. No fault of Scott Wharton because there's a lot of space for him to manage. And naturally, you give the ball away, you're going to tuck in, aren't you? to deny any space down the centre. But Cannon did really well. It was a great run, great strike. But yeah, I think part of the, the good start was that Rovers pinned McLean and Barnett back really well as wingbacks because they got Dolan and Sigurdsson so high. But if you do lose the ball in your third, you're going to get done on transition and the spaces in in those um, those wide areas just between the sort of where the wingback would be and the, the wide centre-back, that was where Cannon was able to get in and fire in. Wrexham very much had their spell after that. They'd sort of worked their way back into the game after Rose had been on top for five minutes, scored the goal, and then really crucial moment in the match, it could have been 2-0. Ainsley Pears pulls off a brilliant save on the rebound from James McLean. The first shot from Cannon, I thought he could have done a little bit better watching it live because I felt like it was quite a way out and he sort of palms it back into danger. It wasn't a mistake of any kind, but I did think he could have done a bit better with that. Um, but he pulls off, and if there was any blame to be attached, a brilliant reaction save to turn the ball over. And that was a really crucial game because I, I genuinely believe it would have been an incredibly different game had Wrexham got that second goal. And Phil Parkinson in his press conference after the game, he referenced that moment as a, as a really crucial one in the tie. And it's impossible not to think if Wrexham had been 2-0 up with the way Rovers have been playing results-wise lately, that would have been a huge uphill task and a huge test of character um, against, obviously, a, a buoyant away end and, and a, a Wrexham team that would have had their tails up at 2-0. 
yeah, 2-0 down, it's really easy to feel sorry for yourself, particularly when you've made a good start in the game. So it was a critical, crucial save for Mainsley Pairs. Um, if I just take the save itself first, unbelievable save. Um, to obviously react in the way that he did and then and tip it over the bar. Fantastic reaction save and, and a really crucial moment. I'm reading the situation like you, though, and I'm sure Ainsley Pears is reading the situation like us as well. He would have been disappointed had McLean scored that rebound because as a goalkeeper, you taught the very basics that shots, you get them away from the goal to either side or even out for a corner. It's a disappointing one that, as you say, he's just palmed that back into that central area. It's going right back into the danger area. Maybe on another day, you know, Hyam swings it away or Wharton swings it away and, and there's mm. no problem. But when you've palmed it in that way, straight back centrally into that area, he's got to make the save. And fair play to him. He's recovered from his own mistake and we're not talking about Rovers being 2-0 down. So I've got no doubt that Pairs will be disappointed. I'm sure they work on it on the training pitch and things. Wet surfaces, you know, slippery surfaces. If you're going to palm it, just make sure you're palming it, not into the danger zone. But let's just celebrate the save. You know, yes, he's made the mistake, but he's recovered from the mistake and some because that was a oh. big, big, big moment. So, uh, yeah, cracking save from him. And Rovers, in fairness to them, yeah, they, they were they were stunned and they were they were poor for that ten minutes. Wrexham were on top. The goals do change games; they change momentum. Um, but I thought that once they'd weathered the storm, the game sort of fell back into its usual pattern, um, and Rovers got themselves level. In fairness, to Jake Garrett, if we're going to point out, obviously, the mistake that led to the opening goal, it's a really nice punch pass into Gallagher. I thought Gallagher sorted his feet out really well. The the way he opens his body up to get it in front of him, and it gives him so many more options on the ball. Nice cutback, deflection and in from Sam Smodix. And that was a really, really important that Rovers scored early after going behind. They, they didn't want to be 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes trying to break down Wrexham um, and that threat that they had on the counter-attack. So a really important moment. And I just thought the subtle bits of that, you know, the pass from Garrett into Gallagher, his first touch was really good. And then Smodix, yes, with the aid of a deflection, so a little bit of fortune with a really good finish for 1-1. Yeah, I mean, through these last few weeks, Elliot, we've been critical of the style of play and, and JDT not getting results in a different way. So we absolutely should celebrate that the style of play that we play when it's good, it's really good. And that first goal really summed it up. Um, JDT ball at its best, really, wasn't it? Just with those tight areas, those short passes, and to fashion that chance for Sami Smodic. And I think with Sami, we saw the two very best things of Sammy and, and what he brings to the side. And the first one is this finish in the box, that one-touch finish, albeit he missed the one in the first half, uh, in, at the first start of the first half when he hit it wide. But that's one of his real strong points that he's done this season. And we'll come on to in a moment, his ability to time the run. So when you've got a lad like Sam Smodic in the box, you know that if you can fashion that chance and work that chance and get the ball in in the way that Sam Gallagher did, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. So it's a great fit. Well, deflected, of course, but, you know, good finish from him. And just what Rovers needed, because if that game is 1-0 at half time, you're thinking about the Wrexham fans behind that goal, Wrexham shooting towards that end. If they make 1-0, 2-0, you know, it probably is game over at that point. So a bit like the Cambridge game, really, where we went behind twice to get ourselves back ahead before half time, I think was a really important thing for Rovers. And, as I say, this equaliser goal was the product of of some lovely JDT football. You know, let's celebrate it when it comes good because it was very good at that point. Yeah, and the second one obviously came literally two minutes later. And again, I think it was a night where Sam Gallagher showed his value to Blackburn Rovers. Obviously, there's still interest from Ipswich. We'll talk about the transfer situation with with 
two full days to go uh, or three, three full days to go of the window. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think he showed his quality and showed his importance. There is no doubt in my mind that Blackburn Rovers are a better football team with Sam Gallagher leading the line. At times, he can be frustrating. At, t- at times, he's not the natural goal scorer you sometimes hope he could be to, to go along with all the really important physical attributes he brings to the team. But I thought we really saw the the quality and how much Rovers have missed him, the athleticism he offers in that forward line. And, and the goal was uh, was instrumental of that because it's a nice flick. He shows great speed to get away from Ben Tozer. Now, let's not, let's, let's not kid ourselves. It's it's terrible goalkeeping. It's it's a real rush of blood to the head from a conquer and not not the first time in the night because obviously with the Smodic's chance right in the first few minutes um, and it makes Gallagher's finish pretty straightforward but very much a goal all of his own making because if he didn't have the speed I don't think any of the Rovers' other strikers could have got themselves in that position where he's ultimately forced the goalkeeper into a mistake hasn't he although the goalkeeper's given him a massive help in hand he has forced the mistake by showing the speed, showing the the quality to get himself in that position. And it's a it's a calm finish for 2-1. And I thought Gallagher's all-round game was excellent. Um, as I say, I thought the assist for Smodic's equaliser was quite underrated. The first touch to get it out of his feet and just open the possibilities to whether he shoots at goal, whether he cuts it back as he did. Um, and I thought he'd, it was a real night for Sam Gallagher to show what he can offer and why Blackburn Rovers are a much better team with him in it. Yeah, totally. And I'll bring Ty Dolan into that equation as well. I thought both him and Gallagher both offered something into that forward line, albeit Dolan from a right wing back position. Um, but both of them, I thought, contributed really positively and and kind of showed us what we've been missing, really. You know, we have singled out some players on the pod over the last few weeks, players that haven't contributed in the final third recently. So those two coming back have, have really showed us uh, what they're made of. And, and Sam Gallagher, we have this conversation all the time, don't we? Because I think if you take the goals out of the equation, if you were designing a championship striker, I think he is it. He's got all the attributes. He's got pace. He's got power. He can run with the ball. He's really strong. He doesn't mind a tackle. All those things. You would put all of these raw components into design your championship striker. It's just putting the ball in the back of the net, obviously, where we've struggled. So, um, it was great to see him back. And and that goal was just an epitome of Sam Gallagher. As I say, that ability to run with the ball and that explosive pace that he has got. We've missed a bit of that this season. It's been the Sammy show all season. But when Sammy hasn't scored, you know, we've missed some of what Brereton Diaz might have brought last season. A bit of that dynamism, a bit of that ability to break through and make something from nothing. And that's what Sam Gallagher did. You know, he's receiving a throw in right on the halfway line from Arna Sigurdsson, who's throwing it from in our own half. There's still a hell of a lot to do there. So that intelligence to know that the pay- the space is in behind, he's just going to knock it past the defender. And then to put on the afterburners in the way that he did, that was a great show of, um, of Sam Gallagher right there. And the goalkeeper, I mean... I don't care if you're Usain Bolt breaking the world record. You ain't getting that ball. So <laughs> I, I, I really questioned the decision-making at that point. And it made it very easy for Sam Gallagher because had he stayed on his line, still a little bit for Sam Gallagher to do there because there is a defender coming across who's going to make that difficult for Gallagher. And we've just singled out there that the you know weaker, I don't want to use the word weaker point, the, the area where Sam Gallagher obviously hasn't shown us over the years is the ability to finish. So the keepers made that ultimately so much easier for Gallagher. And it was just great to see that ball roll in and, and put ourselves 2-1 up. But yeah, Gallagher and Dolan thought really offered something. And the thing I've really liked about Gallagher since he's come back from the injury, 
this little formation change, that link up with Sam Smodic, there's something there already. Say that they've not played together for a few months and they were playing in a different formation previously. I really like them two in that central area working together rather than pinning Sam Gallagher out on a right or left wing that we've seen previously. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Gallagher works best when he's got players in and around him. I think that's what we've seen. Um, his link up with Brighton Diaz in particular when them two were playing more centrally together. I think we, we saw the best of Gallagher because um, he's got the he's got the athleticism and the speed to play as a lone striker and work the channels, but then he's naturally not going to be in the box as much. And that's just, you know, a fact because if he's working hard in the channels, he can't be in two places at once. So, yeah, I, I'm intrigued with the formation to see how this goes because they don't necessarily have the players right now to to naturally fit it together. However, very soon they might do, as we'll come on to, if they can get what they want in the last couple of days of the window. But yeah, I thought Ty Dolan, particularly, I thought particularly in the first 15 minutes, we really saw the how much Rovers had missed Dolan because he has got, he's not as, he's probably not as quick as he used to be, it feels like, in terms of like long sprints, but certainly the acceleration and that short burst of acceleration and speed, he's got that in abundance and he definitely offered that. And we spoke only the other week about, Rovers missing someone with a little bit of pace and, and Dolan and Gallagher, whilst they're not, you know, 500 metre sprinters, that's not even a thing, is it? You, 500 metres is not, I've, I've completely added 400 <laughs> to 100 there, haven't I? Whilst they're not 400 metre sprinters, over those first 10, 20, 50 yards, they are pretty quick and pretty dynamic. So that is something that Rovers have definitely missed. Of course, it was pretty much wrapped up just before half-time. Three goals came in 13 in-game minutes. Sam Smodic's lovely ball over the top from Sondre Tronstad, and he finished it. I, again, we need to pay homage to the Sam Smodic's runs because they are so good. For someone that doesn't play up front, I know he probably played more higher up than he ha- he does in the 4-3-3. He played higher up in this 3-5-2. But he doesn't play up front. He's not someone that literally stands on the last line of the defence at all. Um, for so, and yet so often, how many goals he scored this season where he's running clean through on goal? And that's because he runs from deep, which makes it even harder for a defender to track. If Gallagher had made that run because he's stood next to centre-backs, it, the goal doesn't happen because it's so much easier to track. But Smodix is coming from deep and round. And this is what I was talking about in the West Brom game where Rovers didn't have enough runners in that manner. So West Brom basically just squeezed and stood on the halfway line. And it makes it so much easier to press Blackburn if they haven't got the runners going in behind because you can just stand on the halfway line and just press. And that's what happened against West Brom. Whereas when Smodix is in the team, he's so good at from deep running beyond. And we saw that. And uh, we interviewed Sandre Tronstad after the game, actually. And I asked him about that in particular, you know, as a midfielder, like we've all played, you know, I've played central midfielder at a very amateur level. And if you've got runners going in behind, if you if you receive the ball and you're not quite sure what's there and you can hear a run and you know where the, the run's going to go, it gives you an out ball. It gives you a really easy pass over the top um, to stretch the pitch. And he said, like, he's played those balls for many years, but there's not always been a, someone on the end of them. So he said having Sammy Smodix to do that is, a, you know, it's a real blessing for the team. Really good pass, really good control as well to get it down and to get it fired into the corner on his left foot. And at 3-1, I think Rovers always seem quite comfortable from that point. Yeah, pay homage is is the right thing to do here, Elliot, because I said for the the equaliser that that was the first part of Sam Smodic that that we've seen in abundance this season. The one-touch finish, you know, this third goal, Sammy's second, uh, was exactly what you describe in there. That ability to to break the line, to time the run, to go in unmarked, all of those types of things. 
I'm starting to think this is undefendable because teams are struggling against this week in, week out against that Sam Smodic run. And yes, Sandre Tronstad is playing balls over the top through his career. And we've got other intelligent players in our side like Adam Walton and, and others that will find the run. But I want to pay homage to, to Sam Smodic and his football intelligence because to do that repeatedly, and Sam Smodic had about 10 shots in this game, so to do it repeatedly and time those runs and create those chances and find those spaces, not just in this game, but throughout the season, all of those 21 goals are absolutely of his own making because you know his football brain and his football intelligence is just on another level at the moment. And I'm sure that... Wrexham and I'm sure that the other sides this season have looked at Rovers and thought right you've got to watch Sam Smodic watch that run in behind shut down the spaces etc etc all those types of things it is absolutely worked on before the Rovers game but he still finds a way and that's why I think it's undefendable because his ability in game to just spot what's going on spot where the spaces are and this one in particular he could see that little gap that there was between the centre-back and the other defender they were just slightly misaligned and he just got himself on the shoulder of the one who was playing him on side. Just real good footballing intelligence. And the pass from Tronstad is, is a peach as well. You've still got to find it. It's a lovely little dink over. And the control, weaker foot finish and silence in the Wrexham fans with a little calm down celebration. Just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? Absolute thing of beauty. And like the Cambridge game, what I said, to be going in 3-1 up at halftime against Wrexham like going in 3-2 at halftime against Cambridge, against opposition that have brought a lot of fans. They're really cocksure of themselves and fancying an upset. Really important goal for us in the context of this game. And, and I'm delighted for Sammy, just absolutely getting everything he deserves at the moment. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, could it? No, you're absolutely right. This 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 squad needed characters in the summer. Um, they lost some. They needed someone to step up and he has done that to be the talisman for this team he's like a Duracell bunny he just never stops running you think how often does he get subbed off like he completes most 90 minutes and you never see a drop off in energy you know there might be some games where he's, he's a little quieter or he, you know he's a little bit wayward with some of his passing but he never stops running and that is I think that is all you could ask you know players are going to have brilliant games players are going to have off games but he's he's durable he's available and he never stops working for the team. And I don't think you can ask for much more as a base level from a championship footballer. He has been a revelation this season. The second half was pretty much a, a stroll in the park, right? And especially after Rovers made it 4-1 on the hour mark. Sandre Tronstad with his first goal for the club. Really, really sad about this goal because it's a great strike on first viewing. And I was really disappointed when I was sat in the press room waiting for Jan and I saw it, it took a massive deflection. Because I thought he'd just absolutely wallop that into the roof of the net. And I'm not trying to take anything away, but it, it, I was really disappointed. It was one of those disappointing deflections where I thought he'd scored an absolute screamer and it, it just smashes off Elliot Lee's back and goes into the roof of the net, doesn't it? It does, but let's just take pleasure in the celebration. Because... I'm, just, I'm just sad, a little bit sad. I just thought it was such a good goal. And <laughs> take it's still pleasure a great goal. what that meant. It was a great goal, but take pleasure in what it meant to Sandre Tronstad. It did. That think... was a big celebration. He said uh, He said after the game, he said he probably overdid it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to say, he's probably one of the most likeable players in our squad at the moment. You know, everyone loves him. He's come in and made an impact and we've been waiting for him to score. My lads have been waiting for him to score because as I've told you, They've had that Norway flag since day one. No, I don't know why. Up and proud in the Hildred front room. 
It was, it was. I don't know why they latched onto him before the season, but I was instructed to purchase a Norway Quite flag a weird before the first game. To latch onto with no common, like no knowledge about him before he'd signed. It's quite a strange football to latch onto, really. <laughs> That's it. So we've had that Norway flag every game and he has grown into that likeable character in the squad. And I think everyone was absolutely delighted. And just to see him just sink to his knees in front of the Blackburn end with that pure joy on his face. Yeah, it got deflected, but I don't care because we love Sandre. It gave the admin of the Rovers Twitter and Rovers chat and whoever the chance to obviously do the Sunny in Philadelphia tweets. The thing was just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? 4-1, game over. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And yeah, it's a shame it was deflected, but so what? The thing I will celebrate in the goal, though, Elliot, as much as we've just been gooing over Sandre Tronstad, which I could probably do for, for 10, 15 minutes. Sam Gallagher in that goal again. Yeah, now, totally. I've seen Phil Parkinson's interview where he's trying to claim a foul, and he's the only one claiming a foul because yeah. even the centre-back who was tackled isn't claiming a foul. So I don't know what planet Phil Parkinson's on. But obviously Rovers overturn the possession. It goes into Smodic and just under hits that pass for Sam Gallagher. When we're talking about all those attributes of Gallagher and what he brings to the side and that work rate, he's made that goal for Sandre Tronstad. Because if he doesn't put that tackle in, if he doesn't get himself hurt potentially, the ball doesn't fall to Tronstad. So it was a brilliant striker's tackle. That's what it was, wasn't it? Good old-fashioned striker's tackle Blood and thunder, what you see on a Sunday morning, that type Don't of tackle. They're followed by a free kick and a yellow card, though. Well, quite, yeah. But I'm pleased the referee didn't give anything. And no one's appealing for that. The Wrexham players aren't. They know it's just a good, honest tackle by two players going in for it. So brilliant from Gallagher to make that chance for Tronstad in that sense. And we'll just ignore the deflection. Just look at the ball going in the top I, I felt like then... I was happier in my life before I'd seen it. So I'd like to try and, rep <laughs> try and repress it. We need someone to create an image now of Tronstad just with that pure passion on his face, on his knees, like, come on, because it was great. So, I mean, yeah, 4-1. I've got the pictures from, from last night. I can, I can send you one. Well, send me, send me that. Well, just to, to pay homage to Sondre. Sure. So, um, okay. Whatever you're yeah. into, mate, is absolutely fine. <laughs> but no, 4-1 on a serious note, you know, I think even the most nervous Rovers fans are, are accepting that it is game over at that point and again in the context of the game if Wrexham pull a goal back to make it 3-2 in front of their fans could be a different game entirely to go 4-1 up you know it's it's game over at that point and the opportunity for us to make some changes and, and bring other lads on yeah that was the good point I suppose because the last half an hour was a bit of a non-event but in a positive way Rovers showing some maturity and, and calmness in their performance ticking down the clock we got to see Tom Aitchinson for 10 minutes we got um, 20 minutes of Yasin Ayari. I thought he looked bright, you know. There was um, obviously the, yeah. the slight mistake with the little flick, which Elliot Lee nearly scored from the halfway line. Um, but I thought there were some nice passes and touches from him. I'm intrigued to see if we, we see a little bit more of him in the next few weeks because he's not really had that much game time first coming in. But that's, again, new signings. Yondar Thomason to be expected, really. Um, Dolan, I thought, was really good. I thought Dom Hyam was particularly impressive. I thought he was back to his best sort of sweeping up in that middle of the back three. Um, I thought he was really, really good. I thought Tronstad was great. Smodix, Gallagher, just a, a really good all-round performance. And next up, Ryan, Newcastle United. Yon particularly pleased with this draw because he's been, he's been you know, we've, we've asked him, you know, when you when they go through in the cup, naturally, end of the, last question in the press conference, who do you want in the next draw? He always says, don't really care. I want to be at home. So he's wanted a, a home draw 
against one of the bigger teams for a while. Um, I put on Twitter when it happened, I thought it was a cracking draw and I got a little bit of, of, um, of kickback on that. Some of them, I think it depends what your attitude with the Cups are. So if you're trying to go as far as possible, then yeah, Maidstone would have been better at Ewood. But I, I'm a sucker for a big occasion. I don't really, you know, what are the chances of Rovers actually winning the FA Cup? Quite minimal. What are the chances, yeah, maybe of them getting to Wembley? We saw last year that is that is possible. But we'd have said going to Leicester, they would have gone out last year. So, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they could beat Newcastle. Yes, Newcastle will be massive favourites, but they've got injuries. They've got... Um, they've had dips in form, particularly away from home. There's no reason why Rovers can't beat them. I'm not saying they will, and I'm not saying the favourites, but I don't think it's such a tie where they've got no chance and it's like Man City at home. But I think it'll be a great occasion. It'll be under the lights at Ewood. Hopefully the home fans get behind the team. Newcastle sell out their away end. And I just I just love a big occasion, particularly under the lights. I thought last night was really great with 7,000 Wrexham fans in the Darwin end. So for me, that is what football is about. I, I don't like, I don't want just a low-key affair where Rovers can go through just to say they've made it through to another round because you're going to have to beat someone on, along the way if you're going to try and get to Wembley or, or win the FA Cup, aren't you? So bring them on, I say. I agree with you. I mean, let's just offer some balance. You know, if, if you're worried about the finances of the club at the moment and all those things, then yeah, going as far as we possibly can obviously makes financial sense. But that's how I'm not reading the situation because England fans do this as well. When we go in the World Cup, we're like, we want the easiest possible draw to get to the final. We'll have, you know, all these minnow teams and then in a semi-final, we'll play someone like Denmark as we did, you know, and we always do that kind of planning. Let's I kind of get that with actually, England though more because there's more of a chance. Let's be fair, there's more chance of England winning the Euros or the World Cup than there is Blackburn winning the FA Cup, regardless of yeah. who they play. But I'm just playing the law of averages game here. When you're in the last 16 of the FA Cup, you're very likely to reach a Premier League side. We've yeah. had two League uh, a League One and a League Two side at home in the previous rounds. Law of averages is saying we're probably going to get a tough side in the last 16. Doesn't always go in your favour. So yeah, it would have been brilliant to have. Maidstone at home or Sheffield Wednesday at home or something like that. But there isn't actually many quote-unquote easy games left when you actually look at the sides left. So Jan is absolutely right to say home tie. You never know. You know, it can just be one of those things. We've beaten Newcastle before in the season that we got relegated from the Championship. No one fancied us on that night and we were poles apart from them. So it can happen. As much as Wrexham were coming to Ewood Park fancying their chances, we should absolutely fancy our chances at home to a Premier League side. And we all crave getting back to the Premier League. We all want those big moments again for Rovers, you know, that we had over 10 years ago now. And actually playing Premier League sides at home and good Premier League sides at home who will bring a lot of fans, it will be a fantastic occasion again. So, yeah, I would have loved the easiest, quote unquote, easiest possible chance to progress. But I'm just accepting of the situation of it was unlikely to happen again in the draw unless we were particularly lucky. So, yeah, Newcastle at home, as you say, bring it on. The Alan Shearer connection, the Yondal Thomason connection. Get the Darwin end full again. Let's make it a good stonking FA Cup tie and make it as difficult as possible for Newcastle. And hopefully this game against Wrexham has just dusted off the cobwebs a little bit and we can follow it up now in the Championship and be going into that game just in a little bit of better form to give Newcastle something to worry about. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there. It'll be great. So... As I say, like, yeah, bring it on. It could have been far worse. We could have been going to Man City away. We could have been going to Liverpool away. You know, these are ties that could have happened. They haven't. So let's embrace Newcastle at home. 
that was probably two minutes longer than what you actually needed, which was yeah, bring it on. No, I like it. I'm happy. It's all right. It's all good. There's no, uh, there's no, there's no uh, time limits on podcasts within reason. Um, let's look at the transfer window then, with three full days to go as we record. Quite a lot has happened in the last week since we last recorded the podcast. Um, quick overview: Blackburn Rovers have rejected a bid from Crystal Palace for Adam Wharton. If you've lived in a, a cave or under a rock for the last week, I'll just catch you up. Um, Sam Gallagher, still of interest to Ipswich. They rejected several bids for him. There's still every chance both of those could go. One of them could go. Neither of them could go. Every possibility still kind of remains up in the air. Rovers have been talking to Crystal Palace since last week, since the bid was rejected. They're still in dialogue now. I don't think a second formal bid has actually been made but it feels very likely there will be one before the window shut. And this is where the running commentary on transfers kind of gets on my nerves a little bit as someone that's obviously staying, have got to stay across it and is trying to find out the detail. Like there's so many stories like someone's going to make a bit, unless they've made an actual bit, I don't care. Like I know they're still talking to Palace. I know there's every chance he could still go. Until there's an actual bid, that's when we'll report it. I'm not going to do a running commentary for anyone that's expecting on whether they're talking, whether there's been an intimation they might bid. When there's a bid, we'll report there's a bid. And until then, we've just got to look at the other factors. Obviously, it was an unused substitute last night. Um, Jon very much saying that he needed, he felt like he wanted to protect him because it was also a game. I think if it was a championship game, he'd have played. But I think by the fact it was the FA Cup, he's played a lot of minutes. There's a lot of speculation swirling around him at the moment. He's still a teenager, let's not forget. It's a lot for a young person to deal with. And Jon sort of said, we've got a duty of care to protect him as well. So... And I also said, you know, if the window shuts and he's still here, he'll be back in your team on Saturday, won't he? And he said, yes, absolutely. So it wasn't, you know, it was Jon and Adam, well, it was Jon's decision um, to do that, just to protect him a little bit. It's really interesting. I, definitely, I still definitely think there'll be a couple of players coming in. Um, Nat Phillips is one they are very, very keen on. It, it's basically down to Rovers and Cardiff for his signature, and it is completely up to Nat Phillips where he goes. If Nat Phillips decides he wants to come to Ewood Park, then I, I sense that deal could get wrapped up very quickly uh, and could even be wrapped up by the time you're listening, if he has made that decision or does make that decision. If he doesn't and goes to Cardiff, they have got a list. They've got other players that the club are confident are very acquirable to bring in and to, to sign that experienced centre-back. And they want a striker. Jerry Yates is one that's been linked. Um, that that's not going to happen in my sort of mind unless there's a permanent sale because Swansea won't loan him. And that's the only way Rovers could do a deal with the current squad staying intact. Um, I think a deal could be done on a permanent. So unless Rovers can do some sort of loan with an obligation, I think that only happens if Gallagher goes or if Adam goes and that frees up some funds. Equally, I think they're, they're quite interested in Duncan Maguire from Orlando City, who has been linked a few times over the transfer window. And that's one that sort of rumbled on. But in the background, it's obviously a lot harder as local press to keep track of international deals. Um, you know, the, the pool of contacts that we have are, are, are primarily UK-based at this at this uh, sort of level. So it's, it's harder to keep a track on that. But I definitely think there's substance to that. Again, how much of a fee Rovers can offer or certainly how much they can offer up front um, will take some negotiating, as we saw with the Connor O'Riordan deal. But yeah, they definitely want two. It wouldn't surprise me if they got more than two, if there was sales. And 
I do think Sam Gallagher could still leave if, if if a club meets his valuation. And the same with Adam Wharton. It's quite clear to me that Jon would prefer to sell Adam in the summer because with Adam, I think we know he's going to go at some stage and the offers will still be there in the summer that they are now. I do think with Gallagher, if someone can get close to £2 million, well, not someone, if Ipswich can get close to £2 million, I would be tempted to cash in. And that that is with everything we've just said about how well he played last night because I think it can be true that both Sam Gallagher makes Blackburn Rovers a far better team. Rovers are a better team with him in it and leading the line. But I think this deal can't. This deal won't happen again in the summer. This is down to circumstance. Ipswich need a striker. Gallagher is in the last six months of his contract. He's on big money. Is their highest earner. He's on a pre-pandemic pandemic wage. He's got six months left on his deal. Do Rovers want to trigger the option and you know pay those wages for another year, given all the uncertainty with Venkis? I don't know the answer to that, but. I would I would think not. From Gallagher's point of view, it's a chance to go and play at the top of the championship, maybe in the Premier League, and also get some security because technically Sam Gallagher could be out of work in six months. And that's how you've got to view it from his point of view as well. Um, so I think someone can get close to two million, I would sell Sam Gallagher because he does have injury problems. He hasn't consistently scored more than a dozen goals a season in the championship. But he does offer a lot, and I appreciate that. But I don't think that money is going to be on offer in the summer, whether Rovers trigger the, even if Rovers trigger the option, that I don't think there'll be an Ipswich with £2 million on the table. Um, they've not obviously got as high as that because otherwise Rovers might have sold him. But that would be my personal valuation. I think if you can get near one and a half with some good add ons or £2 million for Sam Gallagher, I would be willing to, to do that deal, even if it leaves them a little bit short. But I don't think it would because I do think if Gallagher... I, I almost think they've got two shopping lists at the minute. If they sell Adam Wharton, there's going to be a shopping list. And that's not me saying they're going to go and spend £20 because they're not going to do that. But it clearly gives them more alternatives for players that might have been higher up their list that maybe they couldn't do financially. So certainly if Adam goes, I do not expect Rovers to go and spend big, big money. But it gives them more opportunity to do a little bit more and maybe work higher up their shopping list and then have a bit of a... You know, maybe have a little bit of a go in the summer, for example. So that that's kind of where we're at with two days to go, three days to go. Quick question for you, just mm-hmm. listening to you talk there. Do you think that Rovers would sell both in this window, Wharton and Gallagher? I, I, I don't I would not rule it out because I think they're in I think they're completely different deals, aren't they? Because mm. Gallagher again, it's it's opportunism. I don't think that offer is there in the summer. And then with Adam it's it's how much do they need the money? How confident are you that the offers will be there in the summer? Is the money just too good to turn down? Um, and also, there's a bit. Yeah, it's interesting because Jan told me on Thursday that the club have told him that any deal for Adam would include a loan back. But then, from a Crystal Palace point of view, and some other conversations I've had, I get the impression that Palace wouldn't want, wouldn't agree to that. Who's going to spend twenty million quid on a midfielder and then agree to not have him for six months? So that's again a bit of a sticking point that I think needs to be ironed out because I, I struggle to see Adam getting sold and getting loaned back, hmm. logist like optically. But then that Jon came out in press and told me specifically that's what the club have told him. So. I think both deals could happen, but I'm also think both neither deal could happen. Um, yeah. 
So it's difficult because I think I think losing Gallagher would be a big blow with such little time to replace him. But I just don't think you'll get offered that money. And we've spoke so many times about Lenehan, Rothwell, Burnton. I don't need to go through yeah. the list. And I don't think that offer's there in the summer. But if they don't get to two million pounds or one and a half with some very good add-ons, in, this is my opinion. This is not what I'm saying. The club are valuing at. I don't know what the club value him at, but this is my opinion. Then I'd keep him, um, and then you would you yeah. see see what happens. But yeah, that's sort of my reading of the situation and, and my opinion on what I think they should do and how mm. I think things could play out. I think it's going to be very busy for me. I don't think I'm going to get anywhere near my work hours over the next three days. Is what I'm basically saying. <laughs> I um the reason I ask that question is it just feels like it's that true end of the previous era, beginning of the the new era type stuff going on here, and everything's a bit tangled together, and we need to just kind of detach it a little bit. So yeah, when you boil it down, dominoes basically, and and like one deal will have same reactions, and it might change how high Rovers can go on their list in terms of priorities. Mm. I should also mention Niall Ennis. Um, that deal looks less likely than it did because it seemed pretty done. Um, I don't think it's dead in the water to go to Bolton on loan, but I've had I've had conflicting messages on that. Uh, really, I've had some people say it's dead in the water, and some people said mm, no, there's a pretty good chance he'll still go. So he was on the bench last night. I don't think he would have been if Harry Leonard hadn't been ill, um, but he was on the bench and unused sub. So again, I, I struggle to see mm. if they bring a forward in which they want to, regardless of Gallagher. I don't see how Nile Ellis can stay because then they've got that five forwards. If they sign one, Gallagher stays and then he stays at a five. Yeah. If I boil all this down to a cold, hard truth in January is we need some cash. So we need some cash from somewhere, whether it's Sam Gallagher or whether it's Adam Wharton, we need some cash. That's the cold, hard truth. I think, as you say, the preference would be not to lose Wharton in January. But clearly, if there's something going on with Crystal Palace there and they're getting close to the numbers and figures... In my mind, it would be foolish to also let Sam Gallagher go in the same window because you could argue that we don't need the cash from Sam Gallagher and maybe we're happy to take the risk of another Rothwell-Lenihan situation. That's, because that's we know we're world, you're not going to get the money, money from Adam. Sam Gallagher in the summer. No. And I think that is ultimately the decision to make here. How confident are we that we're going to get good money for Adam Wharton so that we can then accept that what happened to Brereton Diaz, Rothwell, Lenihan, etc. will happen to Gallagher again? Because you're absolutely right. If we don't take the money for Gallagher in this window, we've lost that opportunity to sell him for anywhere near the two million that you're talking about there. And we should just accept, like we did with Brereton Diaz last season. And to be fair to Brereton Diaz, you would not know with his level of performance that he was in that final year of his contract and then he's going. And I don't think so you'd get, get that from, from Gallagher either, as we saw last night. No. The, the thing for exactly. me with, with Gallagher on that, is he enough of a ceiling raiser? Like Rovers are not going to go up. In my opinion, like they're not going to, that would take no. one hell of a run to get in the top six. I don't think they'll go down either. So, what are you keeping? Like, what, what, what's the point? Almost like you, it's all right writing off that money, but like Broughton Diaz could have, we need- could have got them in the top six. So, it was worth keeping him and running the risk for the position but- they're in now. Where, where can yeah. they go? But with our financial constraints and with what we're talking about, the impact he made last night, how poor in particular Ennis has been, Talalovic is still building up and Leonard has been in and out of the squad. For me, it would be really foolish to let Sam Gallagher go before we've got any clarity and certainty on Adam Wharton. If we are selling Adam Wharton in January and we know the money is going to be there, what I would be doing is keeping Sam Gallagher because I just... Even Jerry Yates. Yeah, Jerry Yates on loan could turn out to be a great striker, but is he really... Am I really there thinking, oh, yeah, Jerry Yates is miles better than Sam I don't Gallagher? Think he's no, I'm not. I think he's, I think he's 
as good as Gallagher potentially, but I don't think he's better. Yeah. So I don't think so he's I prefer great. to just I prefer to just keep what we've got. We saw it last night. He's got a relationship with on the football pitch with Sam Smodich and nearly said something really dodgy there, didn't I? Um that's what I'd be doing. But I think everything is just around this Adam Wharton deal. And I don't know if you read anything into Sam Gallagher's celebration or lack of yesterday. I don't know if you just cut a bit of a frustrated figure. Is there something on the table there? Is there a deal mm-hmm. to be done? Is it waiting for the green light because of what's happening with Adam Wharton? I don't know, but it just feels like once we get some closure on Adam Wharton, I think then we'll know what's happening with Sam Gallagher. And if we don't sell Adam Wharton this window, then yes, the time to cash in on Sam Gallagher would we would be now because we need reinforcements over and above what Sam Gallagher brings to this side. And if it's the money from Sam Gallagher that allows us to do that, then fine, sell him. If we are selling Adam Wharton this window because we get good money, there's a loan back, whatever, whatever, it's the numbers and figures that Rovers want, don't sell Sam Gallagher. Because in my mind, we can allow a Sam Gallagher situation to happen because we've got the money in the bank from Adam Wharton. Clearly, if someone comes in and offers good money, fine, sell Sam Gallagher as well. But I think the buying club has less power over Rovers if we've sold Adam Wharton and we've got money in the bank and we're not desperate to sell him. So I just feel like it's a the domino effect is, you're absolutely right to say that. Once the Adam Wharton domino falls or stays up, we'll then know what's going on. But I would be gutted to see Gallagher leave, particularly with some of the names that are floating around. Whether those names change with Adam Wharton money in the bank, well, yeah. and then you might sell Sam Gallagher because you're then going to get someone else. Well, yeah, sell them both if someone brilliant is going to come in. But for me, losing both would be quite bad in this window because at the point in time that we're recording this, you know, 30th of January, we are weaker. We've lost Travis. We've lost James Hill. Hayden Carter's injured. And all we've done is bring in three 20, 21-year-old lads to replace those. So we are weaker at this point in time. So whether we sell Gallagher and whether we sell Wharton, if one of those goes, we're weaker by another player. So then what happens after that? We have to at least be at status quo, if not a little bit stronger. I kind of see them as separate deals. I don't really see. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory of yours. I, I think there's a. I think there's definitely a way where I could accept them selling both of them, if if the money is right. Um, I think Gallagher is more replaceable, and I think like I, I fully expect, regardless of what happens with Gallagher, I fully expect a forward to come in. So they're gonna. They're not gonna be left with it. There's no way in my mind, and this is a very famous last words considering we're talking about Blackburn Rovers in a January transfer window, but there's no sort of way in my mind at this stage I see a world where they only have Ennis, Halilovic and Leonard to finish the season because someone's coming in regardless of Gallagher. So I kind of think if the money's right for Gallagher, you'll You'll, you'll you'll limp through to the end of the season, but you'll be you could be a lot better off financially for it, and then have a real go in the summer potentially. Mm. Um, but the money's got to be right for me to say this. You know, if if it's like there's a million quid on the table for Gallagher, I wouldn't sell him under any circumstance. I'd just keep him and accept maybe losing him. Yeah. If they can get close to one and a half with add-ons or two million pounds, with the money he's on as well a week, I think I I could do that deal personally. Because um, I, I, they will be bringing another forward in, and definitely a forward's coming in if Gallagher goes. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of dominoes, and it's going to be a busy old seventy-two hours for me. Um, <laughs> well, we've got to hope, haven't we, that Agent Travis is in the ear of Kieran McKenna saying, "Yeah, go and buy some galleries. He's five worth mil, he's five, five million. million. Get him. Five mil, four mil. Put a bid in. Go on. Yeah. So come on, Travis, if you're listening, whack that price up." 
You probably should talk about Venki, shouldn't we, while we're, we're sort of on the transfer yes. window? Because that's... I lost track of days and when we last spoke, to be honest, but that's happened in the last week as well, of course. the um, For those that, again, have been living under a rock, and uh, the court hearing in India with the in the High Court of Delhi was adjourned. Um, so Rovers were meant to have a hearing on the 24th, which would have determined whether the Venkis could put through more money to fund the club. Again, just like in November when 11.5 million was sanctioned, this money is not for transfers. This money is for wages, utility bills, basically keeping the lights on and making sure everyone gets paid and gets to go home with a wage in their pocket. Um, that got adjourned for six weeks. So Rovers have essentially got a six-week shortfall now where I think the 11.5 million pretty much took them up to the end of January. Um, so I don't know how they're going to plug that gap. The natural assumption would be with money from player sales, but I don't get that impression. So I don't know if there's a magic pot of money that's sort of stashed away for a rainy day because Rose put a, in fairness, you know, for people who wonder how this, I probably it's probably a good opportunity to explain actually on the podcast because we waited a long time. And when I say we, the Lancashire Telegraph, and well, I, I waited a while before we published on this because as soon as that happens, my first phone call is to the club to ask what's going on. And I was told there was going to be a statement and there was going to be some explanation. So that is why we waited. And I know I got a few comments on Twitter asking why we'd not covered it. And that's because I was expecting a statement. And without going into too much detail, the statement took a lot longer for very legitimate reasons, not not Blackburn just dragging the heels, for very fair reasons. It took a lot longer to come out than I expected. And therefore, it looked worse that we'd not done anything. But if it had come out when I thought, then we would have. Um, so that that's just a bit of explaining. That's how it was. I, I knew what was going on. I knew there was going to be more detail to come out. So it didn't make sense in my mind to cover half a story. Now, had I known that the statement would come out 48 hours after the initial story broke, I would have done the initial story and then done an updated story 48 hours later. That wasn't what I thought was going to happen. Um, but it was it was perfectly reasonable why it did happen and it was just one of those things. So that's a bit of an explanation. But for anyone that ever sees a story like that and wonders why the Lancashire Telegraph hasn't reported or commented on it, there is a reason. It's not just sat twiddling my thumbs. There, there is a reason to these things. And there's inner workings, which I can't quite always go into um, because that's not how the journalism industry works. But yeah, just rest assured that we're always on top of these things for one one way or another. But um so yeah, the, I thought. What did you think of the statement? Happy they came out and said something. Happy they came out and said something. You know, it's it's good to reassure the fans in that sense. But for me, this is just another, you know, thing on the list of of things that have happened within this sorry ownership of the club because um, we should not be at the mercy of Indian courts and Indian banks and and all of those things. And yeah. we now find ourselves in that situation. It's just been 10 years of things getting worse and worse and, and things happening and, and all of those things. And this is just the latest in, in that long list. It's a really worrying situation. Um, you know, we said it at the time when Rovers were taken over. You know, there were nervousness about being taken over by not just Indians, but someone from overseas, any overseas country. When you're at the mercy of different jurisdictions and different banks and different legal systems and all those things, and then you combine it with the lack of what I would call active leadership of the club that, that Venkis have obviously displayed, we seem to now have a really dangerous concoction ongoing. You know, there was that thing that popped up about HMRC and tax bills and, and all of that type of stuff. 
probably feels like as much as we're probably not at immediate risk of that stuff, with mm. this bank stuff, we're probably a little bit closer. And if the Indian courts and the Indian banks start to frustrate Venkis, well, what does that do for the ownership of the club? Now, make no mistake, I want new ownership for the club. But the turmoil that it could possibly cause with court cases and bank rulings not going in our favour really does worry me. It really, really does. So it's a far from ideal situation and just another one of those sigh moments where I think, where does this end? What is going on? Can the can they just sell up now? Because the cold hard truth is we should not be at the mercy of an overseas jurisdiction. A founding member of the Football League should not be at the mercy of what a court in India is about to say. Like That just feels completely wrong and a symptom of what is wrong about modern day football, isn't it? Just So it's made me really angry. But your question was, what did I make of the statement? Good to put a statement out, but we don't see enough of it from the club. And I'm not talking about people in Blackburn here. I'm talking about the owners showing active and visible leadership of the club. So fair play to the people in Blackburn that have put that statement together and got it on the website and things. But I want more from the actual owners of the club uh, through this situation. I think that's really fair. I think it's unsustainable. I don't think anyone with any sort of tinted glasses could say this is a sustainable way to run a business. Um, and ultimately, that is what Blackburn are, obviously, to, to Venkis. It's a business, it's an investment. And that that is going to depreciate in value if you can't pay your bills. And, and, and Rovers can't be leeching three months to the next. I don't think there is an immediate risk of any sort of administration or winding up orders or anything like that. This is a cash flow problem, not a funds issue. Blackburn, Venkis have got plenty of money. They're not suddenly disappearing off the face of the earth. This is external factors that, in fairness to them, they have got no control over. However, how they've got Rovers into this situation, one way or another, it's not good for the football club. I completely agree with you. So I have a little bit of sympathy by the fact that it's not their fault that they've not, that, you know, it's not them refusing to stump up. But at the same time, it's not sustainable. And how long can it go on for? And I think if we get to the summer, and I thought, I thought there was an interesting line in the statement actually where they did, it was the first time they said, you know, the owners are hoping to have it. Well, it felt like, they didn't actually say that, but it, it intimated to me that it felt like the owners are trying to resolve this for the end of the season. That's that's how it sort of intimated to me. And that's the first sort of time frame or any sort of timescale we put on because I don't think anyone knows how long this will go on for. And if we are into the summer and, and there's no certainty, I think they're going to have to sell it. And I know they don't want mm. to, and there's been absolutely no inclination that they're going to. But it's unsustainable for Blackburn to be at the mercy of the courts, as you say. The High Court of Delhi doesn't give a flying you know what about Blackburn Rovers. No. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been delaying the court case by six weeks. And you can't, you know, this is people's livelihood. This is a community asset. This is the former Premier League champions and they can't be at risk in that way. That said, the owners have always paid the checks and they do maintain that they will continue to support the club and the funding and the club won't be affected day to day. And I believe them. You know, I do believe that's true because ultimately you have to look at the evidence and they have always paid the checks quite frankly, to a lot of people's bemusement, I don't really know what's in it for them. And a lot of people have said mm. that, but they have still paid the check. So we, we have to give them a little bit of credit for that and say, all right, let's see see what happens. But I don't know how they're going to fund the next six weeks because they didn't say it in the statement, but they clearly are going to and the transfers are, on, are going on and I'm not seeing people turn the lights off and turn the heating off in it, and when I go into the training ground and things like that. So everything is as normal. 
ultimately, and that's what we want for Blackburn Rovers. Very quickly, Ryan, let's touch on QPR at the weekend. Back to football in matters. A massive, massive game at Ewood Park. Need to carry some of this momentum from the Wrexham win and hopefully a good end to the window will help give a shot in the arm to the team. Um, how how are you thinking going into this game? There is, it feels must win. It must win, doesn't it? I know we've said that for the last three home games against Rotherham and Huddersfield, but it does feel like they need to win this game. Yeah, um, Wrexham makes it really easy to forget about the championship, doesn't it? But mm. on the last pod, we were reflecting, obviously, on the draw um, at home to Huddersfield, followed by, as you say, that or yeah, it followed the draw at home to Rotherham. And we said Huddersfield, QPR and um, Stoke, isn't it? Um, from yeah. those three games, we wanted seven points. So uh, we got a draw in the first of those three games. So now it's a couple of wins that we need because you look at the table, I think we got really helped out by the fact that QPR didn't beat Huddersfield um, at the weekend. And that game being a draw was also helpful just to keep the space between us and two sides down there. But I said it last week and I'll say it again. QPR win this game and they will go six points behind us, which all of a sudden does not feel much of a gap. It would put them mm. level on points with Huddersfield, who themselves might get a result at the weekend and close the gap on Rovers as well. So it is a bus win, Elliot. And, you know, it, it'd be very easy to sit here and say, oh, it's not a must win. We're eight points clear of the relegation zone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But lose this game and we do get ourselves sucked into a relegation battle. Make no mistake about it. Um, just I'm looking at the table right here. Um, I need to just see who Huddersfield have, have got Sheffield, as well. You know, worst Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday. So there you go. Without um, six, you six know, point, And they've just sat Darren Moore, of course, as well. Yeah, proverbial six-pointer. But, you know, there is a scenario at play there that Huddersfield win that game and pop themselves onto to 31 points, two points behind Rovers. QPR win the game and go on to 28 points, six points behind Rovers. All of a sudden, we are completely embroiled in a relegation or, battle. Oh, if Wednesday were to win as well, that would almost have two spaces up for grabs. That would that would Absolutely. Drag, that would drag, drag Absolutely. Huddersfield down still, but it would also keep Rovers within touching distance of two teams. Yeah. That's it. So um, with the fact that those two are playing each other on Saturday and a, a result either way or a draw, you know, whatever, um, is is not good for Rovers. So, yeah, we've just got to win the game, Elliot. Um, it's unsustainable for us to have one win in 11 or, or whatever it is. It's unsustainable for us to keep going and going on this way and not think we're going to get sucked into a relegation battle. We should go into the game in confidence. As much as QPR have had a little pick-me-up recently with the new manager and things like that, We've just got to show what we did against Wrexham, impose ourselves early in the game, stick to our guns and, and all of those type of things. And I've got no doubt that we replicate the performance that we saw at home to Wrexham, albeit at lead to opposition. I think we beat QPR. Go a goal behind and don't adjust in game. All of these things that we've been saying for the last eight weeks, then we probably won't win that game. So summary version is, yeah, it's an absolute must win. I'm a bit anxious about it because of how the table could be looking come 5pm on Saturday. So it's just one of them. Another one, I said it on the previous pod, off someone's backside, 1-0, don't care, get the job done, stay away from that relegation zone because there are plenty of things off the pitch at the moment, which we are worrying about. We don't want to be worrying about stuff on the pitch as well. So just whatever means possible, don't care, get the job done. Rovers have kept one clean sheet at Ewood Park this season. I worked out and it sort of dawned on me. They've kept four this season in the league and one, one of them's been at Ewood and that, that dawned on me uh, earlier. Who was that against? Cardiff. Cardiff. 1-0. They had Stoke, QPR, 
and Watford were the other three, um, all away from home. So yeah, I predictions wise, I'm going. I do think they'll win. I think they'll carry some momentum. QPR. They were better under Marty Sifuentes and they sort of dropped off a little bit. I thought Huddersfield were the better team against them in the one-all draw. You know, Huddersfield should have beat them, really. Um, so I do think Rovers can, can win this. Again, very tough to predict a clean sheet as much as I'd like to. So I'm going to go for a... I'm going to go 3-1. I think Rovers will win by a couple of goals. I think they'll win 3-1. I think 2-1 Rovers. As much as I've still got concern... Um, because we've waxed lyrical about performance against Wrexham, but it was League Two opposition, as good as Wrexham have been playing this season. So we were expected to win that game and should have done. I'm still concerned about our ability to do the rough and tumble of the championship. And I think Darren Moore, when he was manager of Huddersfield, came to Ewood Park and made it really difficult for us and we struggled to break them down. I just wonder if QPR will set up very similar to make it difficult. I think they'll be a little tight. bit more attacking. They're a little bit more forward thinking, but that could be to Rowe's benefit. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully they do come at us because I think when sides do come at us, it ultimately helps us. But I just wonder if their manager has just spotted a bit of a game plan of other teams just coming and making it a bit stodgy, a bit ugly and, and Rovers struggling to, to obviously sort that side of it out. But um yeah, I'm going to say 2-1 Rovers. Um, it's just imperative that we win the game and, and carry that momentum through, Elliot. And, and we should do, but I do have the concern just with the way the form has been. And if QPR were to go 1-0 up, etc., you know, it's still a bit of a concern. But I fancy us to carry the momentum through. And that marks the end of this week's Arte Labore podcast. Thank you for listening as always. Make sure you subscribe in your podcast app and follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers for the most comprehensive coverage of Blackburn this season. You can subscribe to Lancashire Telegraph as well. Get yourself a all-inclusive package. It'll give you a better reading experience with fewer ads, subscriber-only content and plenty more perks. The best offer at the moment ahead of transfer deadline day is £3 for three months or £26, which is half price for your first year on an annual subscription. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Arte Labore. (laughs) 